Hello, welcome to PQ, the one and only Pokemon Cube podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Martin, brought to you with co-host Connor Lavelle. So, quite a few updates to get through. Uh, number one, we want to say a huge thank you to everybody who's been listening. Uh, our YouTube channel specifically has crossed 60 subscribers, which uh, is a lot a lot for us, at <laughs> least to say. So, we were very excited to see that. Again, even besides like the numbers, like the number of support and nice uh, comments we've gotten and just overall um good vibes people have given us has been very encouraging and we're uh always thankful for that so even if you haven't like commented but you're always like you know people who've been tuning in because uh, honestly we've been getting a lot of views on our on our youtube channel as well as our uh other platforms too um not, not mean daily anybody but uh yeah we've just been very happy with the support um that said so <laughs> uh tying to the next thing we are actually going to be transitioning back to a, uh, every other week schedule so you can expect the next episode of p3 to come in on april 1st and the reason for that is because there's actually a lot more content we're making besides the podcast uh the podcast isn't going anywhere um but to make room for all of that um we found to maybe space out the podcast a little bit more to give connor and i a little bit more time to equip ourselves as well as uh you know make different content in between so uh, an example of that if you look at our youtube channel now um where you could find not only the draft from the last weekend uh, for the Cube League, but you also, the top eight rounds will be up from the uh, past Cube League. So we have gameplay, we have drafting. If you catch our live stream on Sunday uh, at 3 p.m. Central, uh, we'll actually be doing power ranking. So there's a lot of different stuff happening with Cube. Uh, it's just uh, to uh, come, uh, you know, to make all of that work, as well as there's a lot going on in our own personal lives as we are we both are uh, full-time working adults so um we we're spacing out the episodes there probably will be a time where we go back to weekly it's just for now uh to make room for everything and to give you guys uh, even more cube content we are going to be uh, going to an every other week schedule so uh connor did i miss anything or is that kind of the synopsis of it no i think you hit all the bases pretty well definitely want to be able to diversify the content profile and um I think that making the podcast once every two weeks will let us keep it really high quality, keep us really engaged, and it will also allow us to do a lot of other things outside the podcast that might be more helpful even. Uh, you know, hearing us talk about something on the podcast is one thing, but actually seeing it in action while somebody is drafting can be totally different and can give you so much more context than you'd be able to get just listening to us. So um, I think that the mix of content is going to be really helpful and hopefully everyone uh, is along for the ride and hopefully you all enjoy it as well. Yeah, definitely. So if you aren't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, make sure to check it out. Uh, links will be in the description uh, where you'll be able to find uh, any of the new videos that we're putting out in terms of like the power rankings file will be there. Any of the fods that we do for the cube league on our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash podcast will be there. So I uh, definitely recommend checking out those channels. Uh, but the next episode will be up April 1st, so there will be a week gap between episodes. But again, the podcast isn't going anywhere. You can expect the same, if not better, keep quality uh, content uh, going forward. So just that update in general, but to kind of cap it off, once again, thank you to everyone who's been listening uh, on all of our platforms. It's been really, uh, I don't know, almost humbling to have so much support for just a format that isn't even... Uh, standard or expanded so the fact that a number of people want to even listen to uh an alternate format is uh reassuring and also you know makes us 
that's what makes it rewarding. So uh, we, we appreciate you guys and we look forward to bringing you guys more content going forward. But let's transition. Uh, Cube leak already uh, took place this past weekend. I have already dropped because uh, my draft went horrendous. But Connor, uh, have you played your game yet or how are things going for you? So I haven't played my match yet. Uh, by the time this episode goes up, I should have. Overall, uh, testing went really well. I thought the draft went really well. I identified a couple of cards that were going around the table that made it pretty late, uh, that showed me some archetypes that were open. And uh, I ended up on a Lolan Exeggutor with a 2-1 Garbodor line. Um, I, I drafted a 2-2 and I tested the 2-2, but I wasn't able to get the Garbodor in a useful position a lot of the games. I was really just pushing the Alolan Egg pretty much all the time. So uh, slim that down. I also have a 2-2 Lorantis line, so I can get Alolan Egg up to 160 or 190 with Choice Band. So uh, it hits a lot of really, really good numbers. That 160 is golden for the single prize decks in the cube. Uh, it trades for all the stage twos other than Machamp, which not the best matchup for me, but uh, fortunately there's only one Machamp deck in the event, so I don't have to worry too much about it. Uh, but uh, overall, I, I'm very excited. I think my deck is really solid, got lots of neat tricks, and uh, just really happy with it. So I know we haven't done power rankings yet, but have you seen any standout decks from like maybe any of the games you've seen on Untapped or some of the records coming in? Like, Is there any decks that you've seen already that are really standout? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Electro GX has been a really cool card to see come out. Uh, it's, we talked about this a little bit before the show. It's 4-0 this round, um, which is really neat because a lot of people didn't necessarily see the strength coming in. Um, there are a whole bunch of these like spready checkmate kind of decks with a Lowland Sand Slash GX. I'm not totally sold on how good I think they are. I tested against them. Um, I, I learned the matchup over a few games because the first few, I definitely took the L pretty hard, but, um, learned the matchup over a few games. And I, I think that they're pretty beatable for most decks. So really interested to see how well they do, uh, but they do have a very difficult game plan for other decks. So I think it's very matchup dependent and, uh, how fast they get set up, but it was nonetheless, not a deck that I really expected to see at all. A really, really neat combo. So props to them for uh, for identifying that potential. And um, I'm excited to see how it does. I'd say those are my two big standouts. But overall, I mean, especially for high power, this league has had some crazy decks come out of it. So uh, if you want to take a look at that, all of the lists are available, totally open. And they can, they're uh, actually broken down into a visual that you can find on the Cube Discord server. Uh, so definitely take a look at those if you want to get an idea for what people have drafted. Yeah, and we'll try to include a link to that uh, as well in the description so you can find it. But if not, if nothing else, check out the Cube Discord. Uh, it's Honestly, if you're not in this Cube Discord yet, I highly recommend you check it out just because there is all the Cube Leak information as far as other events go on in there too, as well as even just general Cube discussion. And it's an easy way to get a ta uh, in touch with Connor or myself. So, uh, you know, go ahead and check out the Cube Discord while you're at it. But yeah, so those... Those have been a lot of really cool strategies. Honestly, Electro GX, and we were talking about before, I thought, I didn't really think much of the card, but after seeing the results, I am being heavily swayed that maybe Electro GX, you know, has uh, quite a lot to offer. Yeah, I uh, I know that you were not super high on it, and I don't think I was as high on it as maybe I should have been, but I, I did think it had some neat stuff going on, and we'll talk more about it actually in this episode. We've We've picked out a pack that features Electro GX, so uh, that'll be fun to talk about. Well, do you just want to go right into it then, since we're on the subject? 
Yeah, absolutely. So once again, we have a pack from Vents Cube. It's the one that we're running for the Cube League right now. We'll be doing this one for one more episode after this, and then we'll switch over to a different one. Um, but just to start it off, so this pack is very high quality in general. It has very few bad cards. You could even say no bad cards. So just from top to bottom, Guzma and Hala, Electro GX, Cynthia, Orangaroo from Sun and Moon with Instruct, Will, Professor Kukui, two copies of Evolution Incense, Empoleon from Dark Explorers with Diving Draw and Attack Command, and Thunder Mountain Prism Star. So what are your thoughts on this pack, Andrew? Because there are a lot of powerhouse cards here. Yeah, this pack is very good. There's a lot. Obviously, there's, there's quite a few cards that uh, I'm tempted by. Uh, the number one card that I always am probably gravitated to is going to be the high-quality uh, supporter. It's going to be Cynthia. Uh, but that's not to say that there's not other great cards in this pack, too. Orangaroo uh, is great. I don't think it's particularly, like, the best card um, in this pack just because Instruct's kind of weird. You have to build around it. You don't always, you're not always guaranteed to use it. But, I mean, it is a strong ability, and Psychic is a very good attack for just a basic. But not to, not on the highest of my list. Thunder Mountain is a very standout card just because in Lightning Archetypes, it tends to be uh, a, a great way to attack very soon, very quickly, it puts on a lot of pressure. But uh, looking at this cube in the context of it, the Raichu line is, you know, could use it, but it's not really the end be all. Vickable really does utilize it, but Vickable also has three copies of Battery uh, Charger Bug, which is just free attachments. So you're not necessarily in the best spot, even if you have the Thunder Mountain, you, you still have quite a ways to go. The Electro GX, uh, and I'll let you speak to more of this card, but I mean, after seeing the results, yeah, I actually, I like this card, but it's not really in my wheelhouse. It's not really in any strategy I think I would particularly go for, at least in my current headspace. So I think given all of that information, I'm probably just taking the Cynthia out of safety because I know it's going to be good in every deck I played in. And while there might, I might be torn between that and maybe the Electrode, I, I just trust the Cynthia more in as far as my draft will go. How about you? What do you like in this pack? Uh, so so I'm on different cards, actually. Um, I, I totally agree with everything that you've said so far, but my top two cards out of this pack are Electro GX and Professor Kukui. And normally I think Kukui is a lot weaker than Cynthia. It definitely is. I mean, the supporter effect is much weaker. However, this cube, one, has a lot of really powerful draw supporters already, has a lot of uh, Sycamore, Cynthia, Colrus, that kind of thing, tons of those cards. And two, you get a Tapu Lele GX in your draft for free, which means your Kukui is going to be really, really useful because you're going to be able to get it a lot of the time from your deck when you need it the most. And there aren't as many of those, I believe, as there are Cynthia. I don't think there are quite as many Kukui. I think it's a rarer card. I think so, you're right. Uh, the Electro GX really stands out to me because it's so, so strong in certain decks. And there are just a lot of cards that can take advantage of it in this cube. Um, lots of Ultra Beasts that take advantage of your opponent having certain prize counts. Uh, reset Stamp and things like that are also very, very common in this cube. So lots of opportunities to take advantage of that Electro GX and setting your opponent back on prizes, or ahead on prizes, I should say and uh, giving yourself some extra energy to really advance your board. Uh, the, the deck we see it in this time is Dark Box, which is really good, but I could see it played along or amongst a lot of stuff. Uh, single prize decks like Machamp and Vikavolt, I could see it being really good with. 
Uh, I could see it being excellent with Raichu, maybe even get you out of turn faster with extra energy bomb, give you insane disruption ability too. Just so many different uh, options that you have with this Electro GX. And I think opening your draft up with it is gonna make you alert to those options immediately, which is so good. You know, getting an Electro GX midway through the draft or toward the end of the draft where you might have a few cards already that work with it is great. But getting an Electro GX right at the beginning and saying, okay, I'm gonna draft every end that I see that's really, really strong. Like you start to open yourself up for some absolutely crazy turns more and more consistently to the point where, you know, your game plan can just be get energy in the discard, pop Electro GX as fast as possible, and then shut my opponent out of the game with, with disruption. So I really love the Electro GX and uh, especially after we've seen the first couple of rounds in the decks that have come out of the draft this time, uh, I would I would be looking at that card probably first and foremost in this pack. Uh, Kukui being a close second if I was not feeling an electrode-based strategy or uh, if I wanted to just stay totally open, then Kukui definitely more versatile than Electrode GX. I mean, Electrode we've talked about being able to be used in a lot of different strategies, but definitely not as much as just a powerful supporter. Um, of course, Kukui's effect being really powerful with the Lele. And then Cynthia is probably my third, just being a general good shuffle draw six, but uh, I'm not too worried about being able to get quite a few of those in the draft. Yeah, fair enough. So, I mean, a lot of interesting points brought up. And, of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, feel free to let us know what would you pick from this pack. Uh, we, there's a lot of options and certainly no wrong ones. So we'd love to hear what you have to say in the comments. Moving forward. So I guess, are you taking the Electrode? Is that is that kind of the uh, conclusion? Yeah, yeah, I'd pick the Electrode. Yeah, so very cool. Actually, I'm really interested to see what the Electrode turns into in this cube as far as, like, maybe how lines adapt to it and maybe even this cube is drafted in the future like do other strategies maybe get influenced by it so kind of a cool card not one we often see get utilized in the way that it does so i'm very i'm very happy to uh you know see it get more of a spotlight so looks like uh looks like a lot of the high quality supporters kind of take the back seat right in this cube yeah and not a back seat totally because right. you know they are still very powerful cards they're cards that you take pretty early but because there are so many, their value really does start to shift. And that's something that you can see of any card that has a high count in any specific cube is that as you have more chances to get that card, its value, at least in the early part of the draft, goes down because you can go after these effects that don't exist as many times or, or even only exist once. And then you can pick up more of those powerful draw cards later. So definitely something to keep in mind in a draft like this, especially. I think it also uh, kind of drives the point home too. why it's important to be familiar with the cube list before you draft, especially if you have that option available to you, because in context, these cards change a lot and the value of them can be dependent on what other cards are available. So uh, this kind of drives that point home even further that if this was a cube that maybe you were drafting for a tournament like Cube League, you would want to be very familiar with what the card pool is like so that way you can make optimal decisions. So very cool. Anything else Definitely. on this pack you'd like to add? Yeah, just to extend on your point a little bit. Um, so when you're when you're drafting online, at least with the Google Sheets drafter, you always have access to the full cube list. So that's never a concern. But if you are, say you're at a table actually drafting with your friends, you can always ask. Just say, you know, oh, hey, are, are there a lot of Cynthia's in this cube or things like as powerful draw support really common or, or is it rare? How many, is there a lot of gust? Questions like that. Really general um, and, and they can give you a lot of information about how you should be drafting. And I can't imagine any cube builder would be upset about answering those questions. I mean, I think that would be ridiculous. So 
Um, don't be afraid, you know? It, don't ask every single question about like, how many counts of this, how many counts of this, how many counts of this, but, you know, general questions that can be answered quickly, don't slow the draft down at all, but might allow you to build a much better deck. That can, that can be totally fine, and you should not be afraid to do it, especially if you're drafting blind. So um, keep that in mind as well. Yeah, I think we both can say, can speak to get, gain as much knowledge as you can before you go in. And obviously, like Connor said, don't be afraid to ask because Cube's all about fun, but you want everyone to be kind of on an even playing field. So no one's going to no one's gonna withhold that information from you. Just go ahead and ask. And like, if it's going to influence your draft, of course, like, you know, be proactive. I definitely agree. Great points on that. So I guess we're going to wrap this section up. Uh, stick around. We're going to come back and talk about cards that might be trapping you or might be taking... A, a crucial spot in your draft that you could maybe take otherwise. So stick around, we're talk all about trap cards right after the break. Alright, welcome back. So trap cards. It's kind of an interesting concept and it's something that actually Connor brought up while we were talking once and it was, and you just want to explain the concept just so our listeners can understand what we're trying to talk about. Yeah, yeah. So a trap card is a card that a player, whether they be a drafter or a builder, thinks is more powerful than it is. And that that's the very baseline definition. But a lot of the time what that means is it's a card that they overprioritize in the draft. It's a card that they overprioritize in their deck. And a lot of the time the outcome of playing or drafting a trap card is that you missed a better card. Maybe your deck is even worse for it. And I think especially at the top of our list, that is going to be the case. So Andrew and I have both picked out five of our biggest trap cards, but we have a little bit to say before we get into that about, you know, why they're bad, what it looks like from a building perspective versus what it looks like from a playing perspective, and then uh, just a kind of a general grouping for trap cards in general. So um andrew do you uh do you have any other thoughts you want to get moving along yeah so let me talk from the builder's perspective because i feel like that's a lot more of where my reference in this topic comes from so from a builder's perspective as far as cube building goes trap cards can be sort of detrimental to the experience you're trying to provide only because they take the place of cards that could be better for the overall player and also it can as the cube builder it's sort of your responsibility uh, at least if you're taking it seriously, to make sure that you're uh, creating a cube that everyone has equal opportunity to draft these good cards and to make sure that everyone is going to have a rewarding experience. And sometimes these trap cards can... You'll probably, you'll probably see more evidence of this as we get into the topic, but these cards don't necessarily make decks better. They inherently can make decks worse. So if you want your cube to be fun and exciting and you want players to feel like they're getting you know, a true cube experience, these cards can be sort of a setback. So as a builder, I would want to be aware of these cards that we're about to talk about that, and make sure that they aren't necessarily a part of my cube. They don't have to be. It's kind of the best way I could say it. Um, although I feel like, Connor, you probably speak more as like the player aspect of it, right? Yeah, I, I built my cube pretty late into like my cube experience so i i was able to avoid a lot of the pitfalls that um newer cube builders do fall into with trap cards um so i don't have as much perspective there but um the from a player's perspective um trap cards are are often going to make your deck a lot worse uh than it than it could be without them and that's not to say that necessarily trap cards are bad in all cases and i mean most of the ones that we're going to talk about are not bad in all cases 
uh, which is one of the reasons why they can be so deceptive, but we'll, we'll talk about that more later. Um, trap cards will prevent you from getting the best card in a pack. And, and your goal is always to take the best card in a pack as a drafter and as a player. So that is the, the biggest number one thing that you need to be leery of with a trap card. And what I always say to people in general when they're drafting is think about what this card actually does for you in a game. Um, and some of the time, the trap cards can, you know, even seem good in those cases. And, and that is, uh, that's a case where, you know, maybe the cube builder could have done a better job at including a different card. Or, you know, maybe an archetype is really weak and it's not obvious. Things like that. Uh, not really your fault as a player, but things that you can prepare for and things that you can really think through and, you know... In the context of the other cards that I've seen, in the context of the other cards in my pool, um, just in general, you know, when I actually play this card in a game, what is it going to do? What is the what is the most likely case? What is the best case? And what is the worst case? And uh, and that can kind of be a way to start reasoning through trap cards if you're kind of looking at a card and you're not sure whether it might be as good as it seems. But uh, the scariest trap cards are the ones that you don't notice and the ones that you draft and you put in your deck thinking they're really good and then you end up uh, quite sad afterwards. So hopefully by the end of this episode you'll be more prepared for trap cards and, uh, and you'll feel more prepared to identify them and avoid them. Yeah, and maybe before we get into our top five, we can talk about a few general ones that we weren't quite in, didn't quite make the top cut, but I think are still kind of aligned with that idea. And I think a lot of these trap cards that we'll mention are more so revolved around like situational cards, that being cards that are great in like one specific situation. But the problem with that is that prioritizing some cards like this can, you're, you're playing to a very specific out per se. So in that instance, you might just be sacrificing a consistent game plan for maybe like a play that could happen in like a game in like a whole best of three. So kind uh, of, do you have any like, examples that fit that description yeah yeah we've written out a bunch and uh some of the examples that we have are even wider umbrellas or uh, umbrellas under the umbrella <laughs> i guess so but uh situational cards in general so these are things like lysander prism star cyrus prism star giant stump um bench barrier effects like mr mime and mew uh, tool removal sometimes depends on the cube that one heavily depends on the cube sometimes tool removal is very very powerful but um, comeback cards can often fall into this category, and uh, those are those are kind of the biggest ones. But there are there are plenty really, and it depends on the cube a lot as well. Depends on the power level. Trap cards change so much from power level to power level, and uh, and from strategy to strategy. But uh, a big thing that you can kind of identify is a lot of situational cards are cards that are good in certain archetypes. So like Aqua Patch. It's only going to be good in decks with water energy and water Pokemon. And and that does make it situational. But if your whole deck is water energy and water Pokemon, or even half your deck is water energy and water Pokemon, well, that's that's a very good card then. Whereas a card like Lysander Prism Star, if you don't play fire Pokemon, it's, it's literally useless. It does nothing. But if you do play a lot of fire Pokemon, then sometimes it might still be useless because your opponent might not need any of the cards in their discard. Uh, so, kind of going through this list one by one, uh, Lysander Prism Star can be very powerful in cubes that have a lot of discard synergy, or if you know you take a bad matchup to a discard deck. Um, I played Lysander Prism Star in May 
uh, last year in the Cube League because Gyarados was a really powerful strategy, and so was Flareon with Vengeance uh, from, from Plasma Blast, I think. Um, so those cards both heavily, heavily rely on the contents of the user's discard. So by using Lysander Prism Star, I was able to, with Flareon, it was a less extreme effect, but it actually did come up in multiple games. And against Gyarados, it could potentially end their game, and, and it would give me a at least winnable matchup, whereas before I would have had an auto loss. Um, so situations like that, Lysander Prism Star can be very good, but in general, and if you don't know, I would side against playing Lysander Prism Star. Because at the end of the day, you are going to be way more likely to have it be completely useless or next to useless in your deck than than the other or than the other case, which would be it actually being useful. Uh, Cyrus Prism Star, another card, seems like a really strong effect. People actually thought it was going to be really good in Standard, and then it wasn't. Uh, for honestly the same reasons, it's not very good in Cube. The number of times forcing your opponent to shuffle back Pokemon at their choice that is going to be useful is very low. Uh, most of the time, your opponent's just going to keep their two best cards, shuffle back some Pokemon. A lot of the time, it's even going to be negative. Maybe they shuffle back really powerful coming into play effects like Marshadow or Uxie or Azelf, Mesprit, things like that that they would really love to use again. So Lysander or Cyrus Prism Star can often be detrimental. Uh, Giant Stump is another one similar to Cyrus Prism Star. That kind of effect just not going to be that good. I would say Giant Stump's generally a little bit better because you can counter your opponent's stadiums and some decks are going to be vulnerable to having a smaller bench. But in general, not a card that I'm looking to include in most decks. Um, bench Barrier effects. If your deck is vulnerable to Snipe or if Snipe is really powerful in a cube, then Bench Barrier is great. But most of the time, those things are not the case. And, and even if Snipe is good in a cube, there's a solid chance you don't run into it because, you know, only one or two lines are Snipe and, uh, and then you include a useless card in your deck that doesn't help you win. Um, tool removal, like I said, this one varies a lot. If there is high tool quality in a cube, then a tool removal is a necessity. So, so important. But it uh, not as useful in cubes with very low power tools. Sometimes that can mean low power cubes, but sometimes low power cubes can have strong tools as well. So this really is dependent on the cube. That's why I said big, big asterisk there. Uh, and the last one is comeback cards. These are things like twins, like counter energy, counter gain, cards that unless your deck is specifically built for it, or unless your deck is very slow and you can reliably take advantage of them, a lot of the time they're not gonna be useful to you if you can use them at all. So it can be really tricky, especially twins. Andrew, I know we talked about this before the uh, before the episode, Twins is a card that we see people overpicking so highly. Um, do you do you have any more thoughts on any of the ones that we've gone through? Yeah, yeah, and I, I kind of want to preference too, in case anybody's uh, confused. So I think, well, I, I I would say never draft Cyrus Prism Star, but aside from <laughs> that, I I think most of the, if not, well, besides Cyrus Prism Star, uh, I wouldn't say you're never gonna, you should never draft these cards, but I think what makes them trap cards is that when you draft them early, so. Any one of these cards, I mean, if it's like between like Giant Stump and then two Pokemon that I'm not interested in, and it's like the end of the pack, I'll take the Giant Stump. But like, if it's between Giant Stump and like a Colrus, or even like maybe a less great supporter, like Giant Stump's not netting me a ton of value. And I'm just picking on Giant Stump, but that kind of applies to all these other cards. Twins is something that I'm I'm glad you brought up because I know we talked about it, and it's something that I I played in my cube deck thinking it was going to be a lot better than it actually was. And Twins is a good card when it when it does 
work with your deck. But the problem with twins and why it's not as good as teammates and not as good as Rosa is that you aren't guaranteed to get value out of it. So the problem with twins and maybe this applies to other supporters too, is that it is, it is definitely related to you being behind, which I mean, can happen and probably will happen, but it's not going to happen on your terms. So necessarily. So like in my cube experiences, I'm probably, I ended up being a far more aggressive deck with King Drew just because of how Legends Awaken sets up so quickly. But that just means if I'm, I'm sort of waiting for my opponent to catch up in prizes per se to actually use this one supporter, which can be a big deal, especially if that is a card you're depending on playing for search, as well as if it's the only supporter in your hand, it is a dead card until it is, well, live again. So... I think unless your deck is necessarily built around using twins, like perhaps you're playing a control deck that I think you guys are really well, or I know in my cube, like Flygon decks would use it really well because those decks would go behind so often. But as far as those niche scenarios, people who, if you're over, if you're over prioritizing twins, you're already kind of putting the cart before the horse where you're assuming that I'm definitely getting into an archetype that's going to utilize it, which is not always going to be the case. So when you're playing, when you think about trap cards, think about stuff like that. Cards that are going to be really good in those archetypes that maybe are kind of unlikely to come your way so think about it in sense of is this actually going to be as good as i think it's going to be yeah and and i will make one little note there um cards that you can only use after your pokemon are knocked out are generally going to be a lot better than something that you actually have to be behind for so uh cards like rosa like teammates are going to be a lot better just in general than than twins because you're going to have a lot more opportunities in a game no matter what your tempo is to play those cards whereas twins you can only play if you're behind so if you get off to a strong start then twins can be totally useless and uh, I've, I've even seen games where people had just a twins in their hand as their only supporter their opponent actually managed to catch up and come back because they stalled out because the twins wasn't something else even a draw three would have been a lot better than what it was so uh definitely something to keep in mind and something to be leery of when you uh when you are picking up some of those comeback cards yeah and i just kind of keep reiterating this just because that's so important in the episode so like twins has like a trap card does not mean you should never draft twins and it should never make its way in your deck but the rather the point is i don't think you should be prioritizing twins over other cards is that fair yeah, definitely. I mean, I've seen people take twins early in pack one. I've, I've seen people pack one, pick one twins over incredible supporters. And it just, it is not a card to prioritize that much. Um, um, unless you're going into the draft and you're planning to force something that will use it. it. Even if you expect to play a deck that can use it, still probably not going to be as good as one of those more versatile supporters. Um, so just uh, just keep those kind of things in mind. You know, when you see them in the middle of the draft, in the end of the draft, then it's going to be a lot more obvious if they're going to be good in your deck. But uh, just just don't overpick them. That's the number one takeaway. Yeah, and that applies to pretty much every card in our top five. So uh, kind of just to give some context, just go into it with that mindset. It's definitely okay to draft these cards, and we're not saying you shouldn't, but it, it feels like if you take these cards too early, you're missing out. So I guess with that in mind, Connor, do you want to start with your... Uh, your bottom pick, I guess, of the, of the track cards. <laughs> yeah, so number five. This is the card that I think is uh, is the least of the worst defenders, essentially. So these five cards, I think, are all big-time trap cards that you really need to think about when you take. Uh, so my number five is Tropical Beach. 
Uh, it's a card that I know a lot of players really like to take highly. You know, people associate it with being super, super powerful in both standard and expanded when it was legal. The effect seems really powerful on paper. So what's wrong with it? Why is it a trap card? Ultimately, Tropical Beach is a trap card for the same reason we talked about the situational cards in the sense that Tropical Beach is only useful when you're not already planning to attack. And in cube, there are not that many decks that plan not to attack. Uh, so the decks that Tropical Beach was really powerful in, the super slow decks or the decks that would just never attack, uh, they, they don't generally exist in cube. And if they do, they don't exist in the same ways. And it's going to be way less likely that you were able to get that Tropical Beach out of your deck when you need it. You know, if you draw a Tropical Beach in the mid game in almost any deck in cube, it's going to be completely worthless beyond just being a neutral counter stadium that your opponent might even be able to benefit from if they go behind and they need to draw out of it. So Tropical Beach, not a card that I like to pick very highly at all, and I can't remember the last time I included it in a deck. It's just so fringe useful, not going to be applicable to most decks, and uh, the only time that I would really say take Beach is if you're playing a no-attack deck, which does exist, uh, or if you have a whole bunch of stadium search and you're going to be able to get into it in the first set or second turn of the game with extreme reliability. And, uh, and I do mean like three to four outs to beach to really even consider playing it. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought that the first card on this list would be like the one of the most expensive cards, Pokemon? But I mean, sometimes that's just how it goes. <laughs> But the thing with Beach, though, I mean, I think you're right. I think people associate it way too closely with how it is viewed and expanded, where, I mean, it is strong and expanded. Granted, it's not very accessible and expanded because uh, it was only printed as a Worlds promo. But when you think about Cube, you don't have options to play four of them. You don't really have, like, a deck like Primal Groudon where you're building your deck around this one card. Granted, those cards, those decks can't happen. But when you take Beach early, what you're basically committing to, okay, either, either you're taking it because you think the draw is good or... If you're trying to build around a strategy that plays beach, I, most of the time I see those strategies being pretty like narrow. So it's kind of feels like it's a lose lose. Like you're not exactly guaranteed to get into the archetype you want to get to with this card. So it's going to be difficult to force something, but it also feels like you're not necessarily going to guarantee a, a way to play it consistently throughout the game. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's just a card that's going to be so rarely useful in decks. And honestly, this entire list is, is full of, cards like that and i'm sure yours is as well so um i'm uh, i'm excited to hear what you have though for your number five tell us about it now before i move i will say if it is a real beach i will be tempted to take it early just because it's an expensive card <laughs> <laughs> and there is something fun about drafting that you know what that's I mean? true that's true i i do agree that like actually just having the beach and playing it is fun just because it is so valuable but uh Gotta, gotta resist, gotta fight the urge. But like in an objectively like competitive standpoint, like I, I mean, obviously I agree. <laughs> um, but okay, so in my my number five is kind of related to stadiums, actually Lucivine, which some people might be surprised by, but I actually find Lucivine to be a little bit overvalued in cubes. So it honestly just got removed from the band list and expanded. So it is a, it can be a powerful card, and the Lucivine chain is real. And by that, I mean Lucimine grabbing Lucimine plus another supporter. However, uh, a few parts about that. Number one, you have to get into both Lucimine if you're going for that strategy. So that can be a challenge no matter what, especially if Lucimine is being highly prioritized for that reason. Also, and I've seen this more often in cubes now than I haven't, is 
Lucimine chain is, tends to be eroded to not exist. And that usually also applies to Caitlyn Cynthia. So you don't really even get the power effects of, of Lucimine. I don't think you even get it in this uh, Cubely Cube as well. So uh, there's not a lot of times where I've seen it like where that isn't eroded. So for that, on that reason, I'm, I'm not really too interested in it. But then also, so and as a card, Lucimine provides you a supporter and a stadium recovery. And that is that is solid. And I definitely appreciate that index. But if, if it was between that and say a Juniper, um, I can guarantee that Juniper is going to be live in my deck at all times. I cannot guarantee that I'm going to be using Lucimine to its full effect every time. And when I, and I don't necessarily know if I'm ever going to see it when I need it. So it's one of those cards too. It's also kind of slow. Because you do have to burn a supporter to recover back, well, I guess two. But then you think about cards like VS Seeker being able to do that way more effectively. And it's an item. So, and like a lot of bases, Lucimine actually is kind of lackluster. It's not bad. I wouldn't say it's a bad card. And like if I had it like mid-pack, I would consider it. Uh, but I, I do think people prioritize this card way too hard because they think about how great it was in its format. And like you see Lucimine, you're like, wow, that's a broken card. I should take it. And... And cube is a lot different. So, um, Connor, I don't know if you echo those thoughts or if you had any other opinions on Lucamine. So, I think I like Lucamine a little bit more than you, but I agree with your point in general. Um, Lucamine, so to me, the biggest downside of Lucamine, it's really slow. If all you're doing is recovering like solid draw supporters with Lucamine, it's probably not good enough. If you are, however, recovering things like Boss's Orders, like Guzma, or uh, if you're recovering really powerful stadiums, then I think Lusamine is a really strong card. So I'm playing Lusamine this month in my Cube League deck, uh, actually, but I'm playing Power Plant. And I really want the ability to be able to play a Power Plant, force my opponent to counter that, and then be able to Power Plant them again and really just lock them out of those abilities for the rest of the game. So um, that's, that's kind of on the same wavelength as... Um, you know, take cards when they're good in your deck. But I do think Lusamine has a lot of uses in a lot of decks. I mean, anytime you have a strong stadium, I think Lusamine shoots way up in your pick priority. So I think I like it more than you do. But I agree with what you're saying. And I do think that people overpick it for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's at the bottom of my list. I personally do like Lusamine as a card. Uh, I just feel like players often over-prioritize it before they've gotten into anything that synergizes it. So yeah, I definitely agree though with your point. I, I, I like Lusamine as well, but... Um, you know, for the sake of trap card, I do think it falls into that category. Yeah, definitely. So then I guess like moving forward and what is your top four then? All right. So my number four is, and I would say from here on out, um, the number of cases where these cards are actually useful is, is so small. <laughs> um, uh, my number four is Hex Maniac and, and Goop Gas Attack. Those, those kind of region of effects. Um, notably, I would leave Mesprit from Legends Awaken out of this because it's searchable and very, very useful when you need it. But part of the big thing of Hex Maniac and Goop Gas Attack is when these cards were legal, uh, Goop Gas Attack I, I don't think was a very popular card in general because Muck was around at the same time, so often if you wanted that effect, Muck was going to be better. However, Hex Maniac was loopable. Uh, most of the time you could use it multiple times. Supporter Search was much better. VS Seeker was a thing. Battle Compressor was a thing for parts of it. Uh, and even when it wasn't, uh, I believe VS Seeker and Hex Maniac rotated at the same time. So um, they they have kind of always gone hand in hand. Um, when you can only use Hex once, it becomes 
so much worse, even if it is on a turn. So in the highest of high power cubes where you can play Hex Maniac and you can edge your opponent out and, you know, take one turn advantage and that can win you the game, that's great. But those cases even then are so fringe unless you know that the cube is just stacked full of amazing abilities. Uh, Goop Gas Attack, I mean, it's it's the same effect essentially and, and the same reasoning, you know, sure, it's faster than Hex, which makes it better, but it is still oftentimes a card that doesn't help you that much when you get it, or at worst, it's a completely dead card if the matchup that you're playing does not really suffer from it. So, you know, time is not as valuable in cube as it is in standard format, really of any era, um, starting in like Gen 3. So, um, you know, the advantage that you would get from Hex Maniac from Goop Gas Attack back then could be very substantial, even if you couldn't repeat it. But in cube, neither of those things are going to be the case. You can't repeat it very easily. Sometimes you can't repeat it at all if, if cubes lost zone it, because that does happen sometimes. And the, the one turn that you gain from it is either not going to be very good or very rare that it is, you know, game winning. I also find Hex Maniac to be a, build, a cube builder's trap as well. I feel like, as well as cube cast, I know I've made this mistake too, where you think this card's going to be really good. And, and I mean, like if you have enablers in there, like maybe you have some sort of like download Porygon Lucidamine chain into Hex. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be really solid, but most cubes aren't really built for that. So when you're playing on Hex being used once, like you're not exactly making a great case for it. And it doesn't exactly make archetypes better. In fact, if it's, it's mostly just like a, I don't know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as to maybe say a cheese card, but sometimes it kind of feels that way. So. I don't know if you're really enabling a lot of archetypes to utilize it well as maybe other ability locking cards are. So Hex Mania kind of doesn't really work on the player or the builder side, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think it's a trap in both cases and uh, and one that usually just does not turn out well. Yeah, so I guess I'll move my number four. And I will caveat this. Um, I think the, the, the context of the cube definitely depends for a lot of these cards. Uh, especially my number four, which is, uh, I'm going to clarify as post-errata rare candy because <laughs> there is a difference. Um, post-errata being uh, you can't use it to evolve stage ones and you can't use it to evolve the first turn. So um, with rare candy, and again, people might be looking at me funny when I see that, but and, and, so perfect example. In this cube league, uh, which is the, the, the GX cube, I think rare candy is very good. I think you have to be aggressive in your stage two decks and rare candy is your surefire way of getting there. So I think any stage two deck needs to be playing a lot of rare candy. That said, let's take maybe um, Blue's Cube that we just drafted uh, for the previous Cube League. I think rare candy is fine, but like I don't think it's a card that's like centric to every deck, uh, especially since it's post Dorada. So you have to consider like if I'm choosing between maybe a card like Trevor or a, uh, or a line I'm trying to get into and there's a rare candy in there, um, I'm, if I take the rare candy first, I am assuming that I am playing an evolution deck that's going to utilize it. So it's H2 deck. And then I'm also assuming that I'm going to see the lines that really would benefit from it. So if your deck's a slower deck, you don't necessarily benefit from rare candy. If your deck utilizes a lot of really good stage ones, your deck doesn't really benefit from rare candy. Maybe like a copy of rare candy can help you keep tempo, but over prioritizing rare candy and over prioritizing multiple rare candies isn't exactly helping you in those types of situations. So... I mean, that's my thoughts on it. Um, Connor, how do you feel? Yeah, so to me, the number one thing with Rare Candy, is, and I do think it varies to an extreme degree by the cube, it's what do you gain from that stage two that you got one turn faster? Like, what, what is the actual benefit to you? 
Um, Rare Candy makes your deck inherently less consistent because it is much harder to search than a stage one. So a lot of the time you are going to struggle to assemble the combo pieces where you might be able to very easily find a stage one and then evolve into a stage two the following turn. If a cube is very high power and it has cheap and powerful attacks on its stage twos, then I think Rare Candy is critical. If a cube is high power and there are not powerful attacks for low energy on stage twos, I think it's essentially useless. And if it is really any power level and your stage twos do have those like one, two energy attack costs, then I think it's it's pretty good in general. Uh, so in, uh, in the cube that we're playing this month, every single stage two line has significant advantage that you can gain in that turn. So it makes a lot of sense to play Rare Candy, and it's really important to do so to keep up with the other Stage 2 decks and the decks without Rare Candy as well. Um, but in a cube like... So uh, last month's, I definitely agree, and in, even in some that we've seen before that. So um, Slower Car 42's cube is a favorite uh, to anyone who's played in the Cube League. You most likely know it. It's a low-power cube. The Stage 2's have very few low-energy attacks. Um, just in general. So even if you're in most of the stage two lines in that cube, you're not going to benefit from the extra turn that you gain with your candy. And uh, and you'd be better off even just playing another stage one in that slot because you have more versatility of what stage two you evolve into, depending on what your opponent does. Uh, you, you can more consistently get into your stage twos. There are significant benefits of playing a stage one instead of a rare candy in a deck like that. So in a cube deck, the biggest thing to me about how good Rare Candy is going to be is what you actually get out of that stage two in that turn. Um, so, Kingdra LA, all, pretty much all the stage two this month, like Decidueye GX, Como O, the other Decidueye, Total Command Napoleon, all those cards, so, so good. But, um, you know, Agron EX, not necessarily doing you a lot of good, and I think that players way over-prioritized Rare Candy in situations where they shouldn't. Uh, it, it was actually on my list as well, that, uh, but we, we moved our lists around a little bit just to make sure we didn't talk about too many of the same cards. So um, I 100% agree on Rare Candy being on your list. Not to sidetrack too much, but I actually really like that point of like your trajectory of uh, attacking at that point. So like if I play Rare Candy, it's an Aggron EX. I'm then also having to say that I'm also attacking with it, right? Because like otherwise, what's the point? Like, getting the evolution out is great, but maybe if that, like, isn't... If that's not netting me an attack or netting me an ability, like, am I actually benefiting from playing this card? I think that... I don't know. I really like that idea. I haven't heard it before. Yeah, and, and it can be really extremely punished in, in the worst cases, which I wouldn't say this is super common, but it does happen where you go rare candy attacker, attach, but you, you can't actually attack. So then you pass. And then your opponent on their turn... Um, evolves or, or they do something and they deal more damage than you expect and they set you up for a two shot and now you're going to lose a stage two you're going to lose the energy that you had before you are going to have to attach again to actually attack with it whereas with the stage one maybe you could get some chip damage off with the with the lower energy that you had before uh, and you're just going to be so far behind and I've seen that happen quite a few times actually so you really have to evaluate what you're getting out of that that stage two coming out faster. And 
Um, you know, it, it can vary, you know, by turn, by phase of the game. Like maybe you don't need your rare candy in the early game because you don't have to get a turn two stage two, but maybe it's really useful later on. Like you have a stage two with a really strong coming into play power that you can take advantage of really at any time. Well, then rare candy can be really nice, even in a lower count, which I generally like to have rare candy at zero or <laughs> a fairly high count. So, um, it, it can really depend on the deck and uh, and how versatile it is. Uh, I know last month I played a one of Rear Candy. It was one of the best cards in my deck because of Typhlosion EX. Uh, Typhlosion EX comes into play, basically attaches a whole bunch of energy from your deck. Really powerful effect at any phase of the game. But if I hadn't had that Typhlosion EX, definitely would not have put that card in my deck. Yeah, it's very situational. So like, when you see it early, it's not... I mean, I just, I just wouldn't draft it. I just I think people... You're okay passing the rare candy because you don't exactly know if it's going to benefit you. So when you take it over something like perhaps maybe a line that you were interested in or maybe or even a supporter that was going to be helpful, like your deck's so much better with consistency and um, and like power cards that like rare candy is just suboptimal in so many situations. So yeah, very, very interesting discussion with that. So then let's hear your number three pick. Okay, my number three pick is another card that uh, players seem to think is I've, I've heard many, many times people calling it broken in cube, in the context of cube, of course, outside of it, all these cards are totally different, but uh, Lysander's trump card is my number three. Andrew, do you do you have any strong opinions on Lysander's trump card? So I actually used to have this card in my cube, and I thought as a cube builder, it was going to be you know, a really strong card to help deal with uh, a sort of mill and also deal with... I thought, I thought it would just be fun to play like a power card like this, but I mean, in, in reality, the card is not as great as... Perhaps some remember it being in its heyday, and I feel like a lot of that's attributed to the fact that your a lot of your cube gameplay revolves around your opponent managing their resources. So if my opponent is essentially getting bailed out by shuffling their discard into their deck, um, I'm I feel like I'm just giving them more options to all their power cards. So like I mean, bosses bosses already lost out of my cube, but let's just pretend it wasn't. Like you're giving your opponent access to cards like that. You're giving your opponent access to maybe even cards like Countercatcher, access to cards like counter energy or like I'm, i don't know i say the counter cards but like any cards that's going to help them win the game so i don't find it useful in that respect i also find it it doesn't exactly shuffling all of my discard into my deck it's just making my deck less consistent um i get there's probably cards i want to utilize but there's just better cards to do that with if i'm trying to utilize pokemon i'd rather play super rod if, I, if i'm trying to utilize supporters i'd rather play vs like i just don't feel like lysander's charm card benefits you that much in cube yeah, and I think Lysander's Trump card is a really egregious trap on both sides because as a cube builder, so you, most of the time if you put a trap card in your cube, you're not punished for it in the sense that like people don't have a terrible time with it. It just ends up being kind of lackluster. But with Lysander's Trump card, if Mill is supposed to be a thing in your cube, somebody could just be having a card in their deck that's not even very good, but it just says win the Mill matchup. And that just feels terrible to, to lose the entire game based on one card that you have no counterplay to. You just instantly lose. So I think that it's a huge trap for the builder in that sense because it can give players a terrible time with your cube if they want to go for that strategy. But for a player, um, I, I think it's a trap in the sense that one, like Andrew said, a lot of the time you give your opponent back a bunch of useful resources. Cube decks are not streamlined. You know, they have a lot of powerful one-of cards that they would be ecstatic to use again. And uh, it's it's not nearly as calculated a risk as it was in Standard when it was legal, where the player playing Lysander's trump card would be doing it in a situation where it was extremely advantageous to them to do it. 
um, either they were going to blow through their deck again, they were going to recycle really critical resources. There, there was a reason that they were going to play that card. Whereas in cube, the reasons for that are, are a lot of the time really poor. You know, your cube deck is not as fast as the, the standard deck that had multiple Shaman EX and tons of trainer-based draw. It's just not. And that's that's the truth of it. Even in ultra high power cubes, it's almost definitely not going to be as powerful still. So um, the, the kind of decks that would use it in standard were really streamlined. And the kind of decks that are going to use it in cube are few and far between, I would say, uh, at best. And at worst, just non-existent. The number of cards that are going to be able to take advantage of it well are just... Not great. And and it can also feel kind of... Um, it can minimize the impact of good play if um, if an opponent can just kind of shuffle all their cards back into their deck and shuffle all your cards back and kind of reset everything. So that's, that's a much smaller gripe and that's a more interesting line than some of the other stuff that I've talked about. But uh, overall, card is not broken. You probably shouldn't even put it in your cube. It's just... It's really, really underwhelming, and in a lot of cases, really unfun, too, which kind of the worst of both worlds. Yeah, I mean, I think something that I found later on, too, is that if you're playing cards like this to counter Mill or that kind of strategy, then you clearly don't... Either either you don't like Mill or is Mill too strong. And I think that's more of a question with the line and what you should do to the line itself than it is by adding a tech card like this. So it's kind of a different topic that maybe we'll talk about another day, but like adding cards, like when you're trying to like balance a cube around cards like this, like using like Lancer, Lysander's Strum card, uh, it's either the line needs to get come out or you need to change something within there. And like cards like Lysander's Strum card aren't like a bandage fix for it. So I think from the cube builder's perspective too, this is a super big trap card for them. Yeah, adding cards to your cube that just say, I win a matchup, not not a good idea and it's not a fun way to balance it's not fun to play against doesn't produce interesting games so uh generally advise that you probably stay away from that yeah absolutely so i guess i'll move on to my number three and um mine is actually something we've talked about in a previous cracker pack and that is ditto prism star so ditto prism star has the ability that says it can evolve into any stage one from your hand so I have quite a few problems with this card. So I don't necessarily think the card is bad uh, in the sense that like if I mean if I mean if you play the card, it's not like you're sad that you can evolve into any stage one. But what I often see is that players will prioritize this card like pick one. It's even like uh, highly picked in like Rochester's I've seen. And my issue with that is being you don't exactly know if Ditto Prism is going to work into the strategy you're trying to play. And you might be saying, well, Andrew, of course I'm going to be evolving. So why wouldn't I play this card? And to that, I would say you have to look at what line you're playing and if that, uh, what basically Ditto Prism Star has to offer. So the way I see this card, it has no attacks. So it's starting the active. You can't do anything with it. And you also can't do anything with it if someone plays any sort of Cessation Crystal, Silent Lab, Hexmaniac, any of that. You can't, then you can't, then you have no basic that could evolve. It's not recoverable. So if it gets knocked out, and you can't bring it back, and you have a rescue structure, you can't bring it back. Um, and then a few other things too, it 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 not having attacks is a hindrance in the sense that, especially in a low power cube, you're unable to make a strategy evolve around it. And I mentioned this in the podcast before, but in my Kingdra deck that I play, that I got top eight with in the cube league, that my Cedras and my Horsies all had a, a all had attacks that I used throughout the game. So I had one Horsey that could do 20 damage to the bench, which in a low power cube is very strong. 
I had a, a horsey that had a similar attack to Kingdra EX that does more energy for each water energy attack. So that would be a great card to use something like Genetic Memory with to copy that. To also use, um, yes, maybe a, like I can load that up on the bench. Um, and then the Seedras themselves, I actually used to win quite a few matchups because they had good typing. They had good, um, they had good attacks as well. So the whole evolution line kind of worked within each other. And with Ditto Prism Star, you, you get none of that. You do get the benefit that if I'm playing multiple stage ones, okay, yeah, I can evolve into whichever one I want. But, I mean, it depends on the cube, I suppose. But I just don't feel like this card provides that inherent value early that I know I'm going to be playing these multiple stage one lines. Or I know I'm going to be playing a line that isn't going to you want to use rare candy or that's going to want to utilize uh, evolving attackers. So there's a lot of reasons why I find this card to be super weak as an early pick. I do think, like... Throughout the draft, like if it's a, an available card, like I will take it, but I'm not going to prioritize it too highly. So, I mean, that's my that's my stance. Um, Connor, I'm interested to see how you feel about this card. I completely agree. Uh, the attacks on basic Pokemon and Cube are often really important, and they can set up huge, hugely game winning plays in the end, even if it's just one for ten. That can be so good. Ditto Prism Star having 40 health is also horrendous. You know, a lot of the time you're going to be playing a basic with 50 or more health, and that can be huge in preventing a donk because a lot of fighting types have uh, have you know 20, 30 damage attacks for a single energy. Uh, it can also be really important for not dying to incremental snipe damage. Uh, little things like that can actually be so so important in a game. And uh, basically, you have to think about Ditto Prism Star in the sense of is it going to be better than a basic of my line? And sometimes the answer will be yes. So if you are playing multiple stage one lines, then I do like Ditto Prism Star a lot because it can be versatile, it can change into whatever you need, uh, it can serve as a basic kind of for both lines, so you might be able to trim a card there. Uh, although I, I generally don't love doing that because then you can end up in weird situations with your prizes, but you, you can, and it's not too bad. Um, and it, um, it is just so poor in a lot of situations. Um, you talked about power lock. Rare candy can, just doesn't work with it at all. So if you are playing a deck where rare candy is important, I, I hate Ditto Prism Star in stage two decks. I just cannot stand it. Um, you, you really need to be in that specific situation where the stage one is the thing that you're going for and you have some reason to need more than just the basics in your line. The other situation that I've seen Ditto Prism Star used well is um, if you know that there are not very many of your basics left, if you got uh, you know into your line toward the middle of the draft, or maybe you saw a bunch of your basics go around in the first pack and you got into it in the second, uh, then in those situations, Ditto Prism can be really nice to kind of, you know, let you play the game. But uh, in general, I, I just... Do not like the card at all. People will way, way overpick it, like you said, and uh, need to really evaluate where that card is going to fit into your deck and how useful it's actually going to be. And something too to touch on the cube building side that I also see a common mistake is that I, I <laughs> and attributing to how much people overvalue it, I also see this card played in high, put in high quantities in some cubes. Like I've even seen like four copies of it in like in some, and it just doesn't. To me, it just doesn't make sense because if you're having an eight six four line or a six four line of a of a Pokemon line or even eight eight six five probably is more topical. Like you should not need four Ditto Prism Star to come up with a cohesive deck. And for the exact reason we've talked about it, like it's just not a great card early. It is probably better later in the draft once you know that okay, this is going to be great in the strategy I'm trying to play in. But 
like to include an excessive amount of this card in, in the attempts to give players like well one kind of a cheat way to get like their basic and but like it also i also think makes lines deceptively available because i think a high access to the prism star makes it so you can't tell if people are going to draft a certain line so I think from a cube building perspective, having a high amount of data prisoner actually creates issues within the draft. Yeah, I agree. It, it can make things really strange um, just for players trying to figure out what is open and what is not. Yeah, so it's just something to keep in mind. And I mean, we could probably do a whole episode on just like stuff like that. But uh, nonetheless, I think I think we've kind of driven the point home at this point. So I think at we're, we're at number two on both our lists, and this is where we start to uh, align with our picks. So, uh, Connor, I know you have a lot of choice words about this card in particular, <laughs> and I'll just let you take the floor. Yeah, I would say uh, this card has not drawn my public rage as much as some of the other cards on these lists, uh, specifically Rare Candy and then the card that is coming up on the list. But uh, our number two is Battle Compressor. Battle Compressor, one of the most powerful Pokemon cards of all time, is a horrible cube card. Most of the time, it shouldn't even be in your cube, but in the cases where it should, it it is going to be very heavily mileage may vary, and is oftentimes just going to be terrible in your deck. So um, the, the big thing that I want to illustrate before I pass it back to Andrew is... Uh, in, in many, many cubes and many decks, the card is just completely useless. But in some cubes, the card is extremely powerful. Um, whether, you know, maybe you have a Alolan Exeggutor in your cube, like in the Sun and Moon cube that we're playing right now. If Battle Compressor was in that cube, then the discard strategies, the Alolan Exeggutor, the Machamp, um, some of the energy-based ones, like Electrode, they would just be crazy. Like, if you got off a turn one Battle Compressor or turn two Battle Compressor, you would be so favored to win the game, it would be insane. And those kind of cards should not be in the cube, because they put one player at a very high variance disadvantage, you know? There are not a lot of ways to get into a turn one battle compressor if you have one. And in a lot of the cube cases, you will. Uh, but in those cases where you do have it, it's kind of like the Talonflame steam, steam Siege problem, where if you start with it, then the game is just over. Um, so I hate those cards in cube. I think they make for incredibly unfun situations. And um, uh, either way, either it's going to be useless or it's going to be absolutely ridiculous. And in both of those cases, I, I don't like the card at all. But uh, Andrew, share your piece on Battle Compressor. Yeah, and we've talked about this before on previous Cracker Packs that Battle Compressor, I mean, in Cube, you have a lot of resource management to worry about. And what's in your deck generally, I mean, it's obviously you picked which cards you wanted in your deck. So it's not like you're playing very streamlined strategy where I, I have like four ups, all of my best cards, and I can afford to discard a few. No, I mean, your, your supporter lines themselves specifically are probably just one of singleton lines that you're trying to, uh, you know, everyone has a purpose. So when you think about a card like Battle Compressor and it's forcing you to discard three cards from your deck, while the deck thinning aspect of it is fairly strong, uh, you aren't necessarily worried about that uh, at all points of the game. Uh, I can certainly see cases for it, like Connor said, like in probably our Cube League cube right now, where the, there is like a lot of decks that can utilize it. But in general, like it's going into your deck, it's probably a weakness than it is a strength because you can't exactly guarantee that, okay, I'm going to need to discard every card. Like, I have three cards that I want to get rid of, and I don't need them in the entire game. Because, yeah, maybe if you had a tech card that you wanted to burn, but, like, are you really playing Battle Compressor to discard, like, a tech card? Like, that seems like a very, uh, I don't know, 
narrow strategy. So there's not a lot of like game plans that I'm particularly interested with this card. And to take it early just feels like a huge missed opportunity for consistency for, I mean, Valkyrie might not even end up in your deck is the, is the problem because if only like a small percentage of decks can utilize it, taking it early, you're just basically trying to win the lottery of, okay, well, my deck's going to be great with it in it. Cause I'm going to get the one of specific strategy that makes it work. It's like, that is so unlikely. So in general, Battle Compressor just doesn't serve you as a card. I even drafted it because it wasn't the best card. Like it was like it came in later in a pack in our previous team cube. And I remember playing it down and just thinking and in a test game and just thinking, wow, this sucks. Cause like every card in my deck is crucial to my strategy and I need to preserve all my resources that even discarding one of these cards feels terrible. So, and I, and I, and I've had, and I could, I can imagine similar experiences in other cubes. So I think as a player, it definitely does not help you as much as perhaps it would be an expanded where you have more controlled on your, on your, um, on your strategy. And like, and like Connor said earlier, like cube decks are not necessarily streamlined in the sense that you're not going to have a bunch of four ups of cars that you care about. Like all of your cars are kind of limited to one of. So to have a car that is going to thin out your important one of just doesn't seem like a great card to me. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and um, just uh, so, so many great reasons not to include Battle Compressor in your cube, and so many great reasons not to take it as a drafter. So, um, uh, But Andrew, would you like to share our number one? I know I have a lot to say about this. I'm sure that you do too. So our number one pick is Broken Time and Space, and the irony being that it has broken in the name. So one caveat for me, and this is only really applies to me, is that I only think Broken Time Space was good in my queue at one time when I had a crazy mill deck, crazy uh, Rapierian mill deck. But outside of that aspect, I think BTS is a trap card. It's like the definition of a trap card. And the reason for that being, at least from my perspective, is that players look at the effect saying, okay, well, I can evolve instantly. That is great. I'm breaking the rules. I'm breaking the rules, therefore broken card. And the problem with that logic in the, in the sense that I'm going to be a lot faster than my opponent is that you really aren't broken time space works both ways and decks that is not, not a lot of decks that really utilize it to its potential. So oftentimes, like from what I've seen, it's like if your deck has a lot of scoop of effects, like maybe like AZ scoop of neck, like, yeah, you can utilize it in that sense. But like that is such a small niche majority of any deck that I've seen in cube that it, it tends to just like make really, I mean, it's just really not a benefit to you. Um, Connor, I know this one you're really, you're really passionate about, so I'm curious to hear your perspective. I, I have gotten very heated in discussions on Broken Time Space before, <laughs> so I'll try to keep this one a little bit more tame. But uh, So, Broken Time Space is not my number one because it is the most useless card on the list. Um, I think Lysander's Trump Card, Battle Compressor, and Tropical Beach are all much worse offenders. However... Broken Time Space is my number one because so many people think that it is so much better than it is. Uh, and and it is taken as such a high priority pick. People think that it is incredible, that it's going to make their deck so much better. So not only do you have the rare candy issue to contend with, where you have to ask, how much advantage do I actually get from using this card um, you know, in my deck, do you how much do I gain from having the extra turn of time? You also have to ask, is my opponent immediately having the same effect going to be better or or as good as me having that effect? Uh, so so you have a card that was already conditional 
And then you have a second condition layered upon it. So the, the situation where broken time space is good is in decks where you can very reliably get a fast stage two out or a fast stage one out that does something very powerful in the extra turn that you have. So if you have a deck with four Kingdra LA, or if you have a Beedrill deck with Band Attack, or if you have Donphan Prime, or any of the newer stage ones and stage twos that have super powerful one energy attacks, uh, then Broken Time Space has a fairly strong case, and that is only if you have very, very good consistency on top of it. Uh, yeah, I would because... like to interject. Um, oh, so like, yeah, please kind do. Of in the same, kind of in the same vein. I just know from experience, because this was actually a huge issue on my queue before, was uh, like Toppling Wind, Rhyperior, with uh, lots of consistency, plus like scoop-up effects, was so another very, uh, very strong card with that. But I mean, kind of following in the niche examples. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, in some cases it can feel extremely powerful. I, I was, uh, an unfortunate victim of the Rhyperior deck when it was in Andrew's <laughs> cube. And I, I can, I can speak to its power in that case for sure. You know, it, it was not fun to play against. Um, but that, that case is just so rare. And, um, the, the priority that I see assigned to broken time space is so high that uh, I just I, I couldn't imagine putting any other card in my number one spot. It's funny too because I I I have so many memories of other cube games I've played not not against the like the mill deck but like uh, where my opponent has dropped BTS and then I feel like I've instantly gotten bailed out of having to worry about tempo because um, if you tend to just draft good recovery like someone playing BTS against you just guarantees you you're gonna have a response like far more quickly and especially if you're playing a higher quality deck than your opponent like it does not benefit them at all to put it in play so i can't imagine playing like a supporter like this and feeling like i'm in an advantage yeah it, it just in a lot of cases it is going to be a symmetrical gain which is not worth a card in your deck in cube you know deck space is really tight in cube especially as far as fitting in enough energy and uh, even even just an energy is an asymmetrical advantage. You know, you you gain an energy and your opponent does not. That's great. Um, but something like broken time space, you know, maybe you get off the first attack. But if, if that first attack is not devastating, then your opponent might hit you back with something even better. So it's uh, something that you really have to think about. And and it's something that you really have to evaluate exactly how it's going to be in your deck. And what kind of consequences you're going to suffer from your opponent having the same advantage going into their turn. Because when Broken Time Space was played in Standard and so broken, uh, you know, that kind of effect has been so powerful. Um, it it was not usually a symmetrical advantage at all. Um, basic decks were super powerful. A lot of the Stage 2 decks would have different benefits from getting set up quickly. So there are just a lot of things to say about BTS. There are a lot of reasons that you shouldn't put it in your deck. I don't hate it in cubes in general just because it can be interesting with like heavy scoop up effects, like you said, and allow you to play really weird strategies with stage twos where you pick them up a bunch and you couldn't do that normally. But uh, you really need to think about how that card is going to be affecting your game. Yeah, it should, it should definitely be a conscious decision if you're drafting BTS. Like definitely don't take it just because it says you could evolve. Like there's so many better cards you can play that will help your deck be more consistent and streamlined than BTS that um, the card should just never be a top tick priority in most cases. Yeah, I mean, if you're already like, okay, I have Kingdra LA as my first pick, and then BTS comes second, well, okay, sure. BTS seems pretty good then, because then you can really push those scoop-up effects, but 
I, I think we're kind of just going back over the same points at this point. So I've uh, I've said my piece on broken time space. So and this is where I kind of pass it off to the listeners. So if there's any cards that you maybe either disagree with or maybe and we were talking about with this, I think we're probably missing out on other trap cards. So if you oh, can think are. of any other ones, please let us know in the comments. We would love to expand this list further and I guess spread the word <laughs> to our fellow cube cute players but uh, we would love to hear your guys' thoughts and if there's any cards that maybe you are disagreeing with or maybe the cards you do agree with um because it could, it could go both ways please let us know any cards that we miss as well so any last thoughts on your end connor about trap cards before we close this out um as uh, as i'm sure the viewers are quite aware of by now i get very heated when talking about trap cards so if anybody wants to get into a heated discussion with me then uh, i welcome that either in the comments down below uh, on any platform that we have that has comments or in the cube discord always happy to engage in that discussion um, but uh, I will do my best not to get as heated then as I did now or have in the past <laughs> I would say yeah the cube the cube discord is a great place to get Connor in a heated discussion so if you you look in if you look in any of the channels uh, you'll definitely find people talk about cube not necessarily heated I should say but um, do check out the link if you want to talk to other people about cube as well but I think we're wrapping up this section pretty nicely. If you have any other uh, comments about this section or anything that you want to add, of course, you know where to put them. So we'll close this one out. So stick around. We'll be right back with our conclusion segment. All right. Welcome back to this conclusion segment. So as I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, we are going back to a bi-weekly schedule. So you can expect the next episode of PQ to happen April 1st. That said, we also talked about there's a lot of other content coming up. So we'd like to get into some of that. Um, if you are, I mean, if you're paying attention, uh, the power rankings got pushed to next Sunday. So that will happen this Sunday, the Sunday you're listening to this. So that'll happen March 21st at 3 PM central. So March 21st, 3 PM central on our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash P3 podcast, where we will, as well as several of the other admins, uh, will be talking about our top five picks from the event, uh, decks that we think are strong contenders for uh, doing well and that we're interested in. And also decks that we just find interesting that were maybe not expected. So I'm very excited. Connor, are you excited for the power rankings? Yeah, super excited. I uh, I always love power rankings. Uh, only thing that I don't love about them is editing them. So now that we're doing them live, I'm even more excited for them and uh, really excited to potentially interact with the audience too. You know, if, uh, if people have thoughts, if people want to chip into the conversation, I feel like power rankings is an amazing forum to do that on. So uh, just really excited for it. Oh yeah, I forgot to even mention you. Yeah, feel free. I mean, if you make sure when you tune in, you have your, we, we want as much input as we can. We'd love to interact with you guys and hear what you guys think as we're going through it because this will be all live usually we've had a lot of other things that have been pre-recorded like the draft for you know tournament reasons but this is going to be a live event that you know we'll definitely be looking for input from the audience so just to reiterate one more time that is march 21st at 3 p.m central you can check our twitch channel you can check out our twitter where you'll see updates or you can check the cube discord um a vod of that will also be posted to our youtube channel so you can look out for that kind of segues into the other part so as far as other videos go like I said, uh, the uh, finals from the Cube League should be up. The top eight is going to probably be a minute. I need to get some of the other commentators together to cast over them. Everyone's just been super busy. But those are recorded and uh, they just need commentary. So this will be up soon. Uh, the draft itself will be up as when by the time you're listening to this. But not at the time we are recording. So uh, that should be up by then too. So you can check out the draft. You can check out the finals from the previous Cube League. But, and you can set the top eight from the previous 
Cubic to be up there shortly. Uh, I don't think am I missing any other videos? I think that's uh, I think that's all we've got in the pipeline right now. Yeah, so hopefully, uh, and we're hoping to at least do some sort of more coverage on the Cube League games. I don't know how much we're actually going to be able to do, but uh, given that I'm knocked out so early, <laughs> it'll probably be easier for me to uh, stream some of the games. So hopefully, hoping to get some of that there. I make no promises, so schedule ours kind of tight, but we are hoping to bring more Cube content in the future. So just be on the lookout for that. Anything else to add, Connor? No, I think that's about it. Pretty well rounded out. Really excited to hear what people think about our trap cards and to hear what they think about power rankings. Uh, some of the members of the community have actually been making their own, so definitely feel free to do that. Once again, all the decks can be found in the Cube Discord, so uh, even if you're not participating in the league, I'd be excited to see your, your power ranking list. There are 38 decks this time, so lots to think about, lots to consider, and should be a good time all around. Yeah, so I think that's. I think we're gonna close out this episode now. Uh, once again, and you can't say this enough. Thank you so much to everyone who's been listening. It means a lot. We are definitely planning on making more episodes, but it means a lot to us to know that people are out there listening and sending us support. Gotten support from a lot of different people. It's just uh, I don't know. Every every nice comment, every view, every subscriber, it all goes a long way, and probably what that means more than you think. So. Um, if you are watching and you haven't subscribed, um, I, I encourage you to, I, especially if you're interested in cube, I think there's a lot of cube content to be made and hopefully we can provide something that's serviceable to the community and we look forward to doing that soon. But as far as today, I think our episode's coming to a close. You've been listening to the PQ podcast, the one and only cube podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Markson, brought to you with Connor Lavelle, and we'll see you guys next time.